This podcast is brought to you by Kevin Cruz, the author of a new book entitled Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. Please listen to podcast number 705, where Kevin and Greg discuss the 10 rules that have been developed by Kevin that really transforms how a leader functions and performs with their teams and employees. Kevin's book has one purpose, to teach you how to be both the boss everyone wants to work for and the high achiever every CEO wants to hire, all without drama, stress, or endless hours in the office. If you follow these rules, you are bound to change your leadership style for the better. Join Kevin and Greg on podcast number 705, where you will learn more about the rules, as well as a bonus that Kevin is offering to all of the listeners of this podcast. We hope you enjoy podcast number 705 with author Kevin Cruz about his new book, Great Leaders Have No Rules. To learn more about the book and to see Kevin's special offer, please visit www.norulesleadership.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Todd Rose, an author that we just had an interview with on his book called The End of Average, uh, actually was kind enough to provide me with the second book that he's written. Um, and he actually wrote that with a co-author, Aji Ogis. Is that right? Yeah, Ogi Ogis. Ogi Ogis. Okay. And this book is called Dark Horse, Achieving Success Through the Pursuit of Fulfillment. Now, this is a fascinating book. Now, for those of you who are listening to this in sequence, um, you're actually uh, kind of these books, I'd say, dovetail on one another uh, quite interestingly. And um, Todd, you know, you state when you first started the Dark Horse Project in Motion that fulfillment was the last thing on your mind, <laughs> that there is one um, command or common bond, I should say, that holds all Dark Horses together. And that bond is fulfillment. Why do you believe this to be so about these Dark Horses? And so we should set the frame for our listeners that Dark Horses are really just like it is. I mean, maybe some of the people haven't heard of this term before, but the reality is a dark horse is somebody that comes up from behind and succeeds in first place, right? They come up yep, and- No one boom. sees them coming, right? They they no just, one sees them coming, yeah. exactly, exactly. And the, the term's been around for a while, but I don't want to make an assumption that all my listeners out there understand sure. the concept of a dark horse. Did somebody yeah. ask you that Katy Perry, was there a song? <laughs> on cbs this morning yeah yeah so so the reality i guess there's a song that she wrote called dark horses right Um, that's right but the the reality is i've probably heard it i if you played it for me i would know it but the point is that should be the theme song for this book Um, i like it but any rate let's just talk about the fact that these people come from behind you obviously cite so many examples in the book of people. We're going to get into some of those stories, but why do you believe that this common concept of fulfillment, you have four different things you talk about that we'll get to, but this one in particular is, is so important. Yeah. So yeah, just to back up a bit. Yeah. It's, it's, you're right. So the way this whole thing started is it really wasn't necessarily meant to be a book. It was, so, you know, off of end of average, you know, where we had, I had looked at some companies that were dealing with individuality better, you know, like the Costco's and Morningstar's and stuff like that. 
and while I was focused on the companies, what really struck me was that um, I kept meeting really amazing individuals, right? People who really were dark horses. They, they were doing amazing things in these companies, but when you talk to them, like their path to getting there was all over the place, right? And not not sort of the traditional. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. Is I like, I wonder if there's like something we can learn uh, from these folks, something about that would help us all like be more successful. And I looked around and and myself and Dr. Ogus, we looked around. And we said, "There's no, but there there aren't these studies. We didn't see them anywhere. So we decided, well, in my lab, let's just go ahead and study this. And so we launched hundreds and hundreds of people from all walks of life. We purposely tried to avoid famous people, which famous people probably are better for books. But like, I wanted I wanted people just like the rest of us, right? No one ever has quite enough money or enough connections, and yet these people managed to like really crush it. And um, so and you did a good job of that. I, I love the fact that you didn't take really super successful people. And I, and I, I obviously like uh, some of your other interviews, uh, Todd, you had these great stories, which I said on individual and the pursuit of fil- fulfillment, but you start the book with the story. And I happen to have been to Zealand over four times. So this one mm. kind of related to me and this is Jeannie McCormick. And I was going to have you tell this story about Jeannie, because I really think that, you know, when you look about this, this is definitely a dark horse story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so Jenny, yeah, she, she basically, there really are like what I think is like two, two types of dark horses, right? There are people who really struggle early in their life until they find that passion, find this thing, and then they just take off. Right. And then there are people who actually are pretty successful by society standards, right? Like, and they realize that they're just not happy and they make these pretty crazy pivots and then they go on to do incredible things in other spaces. So um, Ginny is like a great example of the the first, right? Which is like, so she was, she's this woman, I mean, she dropped out of school at 15, right? She's a single mom working fast food by the age 21. Um, and if you just flash forward, just to do the spoiler alert, like, Today, she's an internationally respected astronomer who publishes in the absolute best like scientific journals. She's even discovered a new planet and an asteroid, and she did it all without ever going to college. I mean, just incredible. And like, she's just one of the most remarkable people you're ever going to meet. And so, you know, in the book, kind of look at her journey and like, how, how do you do that? Right? How do, I, it still just boggles my mind. How? how? Right. Um, and you realize that, you know, just like these other dark horses, it's really about understanding that you're you're not prioritizing someone else's view of success. It's really about this personal fulfillment, which is simply um, accomplishing things that matter to you. Right. It, and that sounds deceptively simple, but it means you have to still accomplish things. Right. You can't just have it given to you. But then you also kind of have to know yourself. You have to know what matters. And these dark horses to a person are just amazing at that. Um, and, and they've been able to, I think, really create a blueprint for the rest of us. How do, how do we live lives of, of meaning and purpose and fulfillment? Well, in your process of studying them, you state that our motives compromise the emotional core of individuality. And what we desire and what we do not desire defines who we are in a unique and deeply personal manner. And I would agree with that. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a great statement. How do you suggest to the listeners that are on here today um, to find the desire and then having the courage to follow that desire or that dream? I mean, it's one thing to talk about this. It's another thing to get lost in the weeds. 
Um, For sure. You know, and look, you were a kid early on who got lost in the weeds. I got lost in the weeds. Um, I'm not even certain I've found my way totally out of the weeds. But the reality is what I mean by that is we think we know something, but we don't really know it. And then we try it a little bit, but we don't really give it all of our effort. You, yeah. you get where I'm coming from, right? I do. I do. Yeah. yeah so, so I think like um, just to kind of circle back um, to an earlier question too is like, these folks, so I actually thought what I would be looking for is a kind of personality type or um, or sort of tricks and tips for how they were able to carve off a unique path. And again, over and over again, they just kept coming back to the wanting to tell about like how they discovered what mattered most to them and who they were. And and I, I honestly, like I hate to say this, like I actually resisted that. Like I, I didn't want that to be true because I, I'm like, what do I do with fulfillment? Like, like it's like this squishy, like soft thing that like I wanted like some hard stuff and like, but like, look, like if they keep telling you this, right, they keep coming back. Like, so then I was like, okay, fine. So th- these folks are like, fulfillment is what matters. That's what they prioritize. But like we have, that's not new. I've heard that before, but why is this not like fall your bliss off a cliff, right? Like this is like empty slogans and stuff like that. And so as we dug deeper, what was really remarkable is that like there was just a set of things that they knew and could do that made fulfillment actionable, like a really reliable way to live a successful life. And so the first one back to this idea of motive. So is like they they micro are motives, uh, right? yeah, yeah yeah micro the reason we call them micro motives is like when like to say that you should know what motivates you that that doesn't sound that's not rocket science right but the way our standardized systems have been created is either we ignore that entirely right or we all try to argue over there must be like the one motive that's universal like we all want to compete or we all want money or we all want like whatever right and what we found is that it's just not true right that like what what motivates you what truly matters most to you is a collection of a number of things and and in their total they make you very unique right and what's really important is if you don't know that about yourself if you if if you if you're fooling yourself you know you think you oh i care about you know i care about being the very best or i i want to make the most money and, but that's not really true, then you're going to make really bad decisions in life, right? Like, um, and what we found is that, that dark horses had this just uncanny ability to just accurately be able to talk about the, the, the sort of depths of what really motivated them. And the reason that's really important and the reason that really is the first step on a dark horse journey is that while knowing your motives doesn't guarantee fulfillment, not knowing them guarantees you won't get there, right? You may end up being successful in life. You might make a lot of money and have a lot of status, but the things you're doing to get there will not be fulfilling, or it's just like random chance that it will be. So the the question you asked is a good one, right? Which is like, okay, but how do you, <laughs> okay, so it's one thing to say it, but how do you go about it? And here's what's crazy. Like there is a first step that everybody listening right now can take, and I promise you, it's got such massive bang for the buck if you just try it, right? I'll give you the, the quick version here, and then the book lays out a, a sort of longer version of it. But if you think about right now, if you just sat down and listed out the, the things that you enjoy doing, right? So I like football. I, I've always liked it, right? But what we've done in our society, either we don't care about what your passions are or we leave it at that, right? So I might have a passion for football. That's a true statement, but it's not good enough, not enough to lead a fulfilling life, right? Because I need to understand why, what's beneath that. And so if you ask yourself why with football, is it 
the competition? Is it the camaraderie of a team sport? Is it that I like playing it, being outdoors, physical exercise? Whatever those answers are, those are now getting at the actual motives. And the reason this is really, really important is I can stop caring about football, right? I could get older. I can get injured. Um, if I don't know what's beneath that, it's not portable. I can't, I can't convert it into something else. I can't say, okay, this activity is done. I've lost my passion for it. I can't do it. How do I now choose something else, right? So all you do is constantly think about what is it that I enjoy doing and why, and start listing out those whys. And what I'll tell you will happen, with it, like, like clockwork, is that when you do it just a few times, you'll start to see patterns. And once you start realizing this about yourself, you can now start to make, have priorities and you can make choices off of them. I mean, it really is that simple to start, but it, it's really quite magical when you do it. It's great advice for our listeners. And I think in the book, you have a place for that. You've got some, some great stories here as tell. But also you state that for a dark horse, strategy is a method of getting better. So for a dark horse, a strategy is a method for getting better. And it's, it, it is this that becomes the dark horse mindset. But you relate this to this concept of the Rubik's Cube in the story. And I thought that that was really good because, you know, look, if you want to get better at the Rubik's Cube, you can go up to YouTube and find all these people that have gotten better. And I don't know of many people that are playing with Rubik's Cube, but I'm sure there's lots of people out there still trying to perfect it. But you're saying it's strategy, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I wanted to pick, yeah, some kind of example that like people could kind of relate to now. I probably just showed my age too, because, <laughs> who knows? but there are, what's crazy about Rubik's Cube is there are actually like this, these people called speed cubers. If you, if you go on YouTube and these are people who can like consistently solve this in like, you know, 10 seconds, it's just kind of crazy. Right. And so the reason I picked this is because the it's so from a, from a living a fulfilling life and being successful that way, it's one thing to know about yourself, right? It's, it's one thing to like, I know who I am. I know what really motivates me so I can make good choices off of that. But because fulfillment is about achieving things that matter to you, you still have to get better at stuff, right? You can't, it's not complacency. It's not like that. So like, how do I consistently get better? And this is where like this, where standardization has really, really done harm to us, which is we tend to think some people are talented at things, some people aren't. And, you know, you, you try something and if, if you're not good at it, you might say, okay, well, this isn't for me, right? And, and you move on. What Dark Horses showed us, and it's just so remarkable, um, is that actually there are, there, for anything you want to accomplish, there are always multiple ways to get there, always. And that, that's actually true, not just from Dark Horses, that's true in the science I'm a part of. It's called equifinality. We even have a law for it. Um, and what Dark Horses were really remarkable at is if you're trying to get good at something, they will just cycle through strategy after strategy. And for a moment, they look like they're not being very effective, like they're just kind of stuck. But when you look at them, they're not just doing the same thing over and over again, right? They're, they're swapping out strategies. They're looking for new ones. They're trying, mm. knowing full well that there will be a strategy that fits their individuality. And when it clicks, watch out. Yeah. And so, what it, yeah. Steve Jobs used to call that putting the dots together. You know, how do you mm. connect the dots? Yeah. And, and and you mentioned that perhaps the most impactful difference between conventional recipes for success and the dark horses prescription concerns goal setting. You said the standard formula commands you to know the destination. In contrast, the fourth element of the dark horse mindset is to ignore the destination. 
why do dark dark horses ignore the destination yeah it, so this is the one that is sounds the most controversial but um is like incredibly important right because you think well wait a minute if you don't know where you're going right uh, then you know whatever but like this is our, our current society has basically narrowed all our choices and there's like one path for success. And in this case, right, for example, it does definitely run through college, right? Like think about no matter how talented you are, like I don't care if you're Picasso and that ability, if you want to go to Stanford, you've got to get a high score on the SAT. <laughs> like it's kind of crazy, but, but the thing is, is that we get so used to thinking way ahead. Okay. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, you know, whatever. Okay. Except for like, you're like, 18, 20, I don't care if you're 30, 40, whatever. The problem is, is those destinations are all, there's so many contingencies there, right? There's so many like, okay, well, there's like 10 steps to getting there. And a lot of them are not even in your control right now. So what happens is when you get hung up on that end destination, you end up making decisions that you're trying to optimize against that instead of making decisions in the moment that optimize around who you are, right? So at any given moment, you always have choices. You always do. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care what your circumstances, you have some choice to make. And those choices are almost never equivalent in terms of maximizing fulfillment, right? So by orienting around who you are and then setting goals, the goals that are actionable and specific, like, okay, if instead of saying, I want to go to, I want to be a lawyer, like I can start to focus on, I, I want to study aspects of this. I want to do certain things because you might end up being at Harvard Law School but you might end up being on any number of a dozen other paths that would have been equally as fulfilling. And so what, what dark horses do really well and that we're going to have to be comfortable with as a people as we move into this age of personalization is that with all these options in front of us, the best bet is not to look clear down you know, 20 years in the future and hope you can game the system all the way to that destination. It's to stay true to who you are and make sure you're making the best possible choices you can in the moment and setting sort of specific goals that are, that are approachable and achievable. I think that uh, you know, just when you look at a dark horse mindset, uh, you give a chart in the book where you compare and contrast standardization mindset versus that. And I want all my listeners to get the book, even if you don't get the book, find this chart, because it'll give the listeners examples of the stark differences between these two mindsets of a dark horse versus this standard. And I want to wrap up our interview with this. You know, you write in this last chapter that the most influential sentence in Western political history is the first sentence of the preamble to the American Declaration of Independence. And most of us know it, but it's the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And I want to underline that pursuit of happiness. Um, what has happened in your estimation to this pursuit of happiness? Because yeah. I see a lot of people out there, but I don't see a lot of happy people, Todd. Right. Not me either, right? We, we have a lot of success and very little happiness. And um, so, yeah, I was, I mean, this is one of my favorite um, the chapters in the book because, you know, a couple of things. One, like Jefferson writing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as fundamental human rights, right? Like he, he basically switches out. Like, you know, you could have John Locke who actually said life, liberty, and property, right? Those were the rights. And Jefferson makes this change. And, you know, you would think like, that's weird, right? Like, why would you, why, why would you, use, and I, nowadays we think of the first two as like really fundamental and we argue over them, but the last we've kind of forgotten, right? And we think it's sort of like a rhetorical flourish that didn't age very well. But what's really important to know is that a couple, two things. One, at the time, um, 
happiness didn't mean pleasure. That's not what they meant. It, they really meant something closer to fulfillment. It was a good fit between you and your environment, the ability to achieve things that matter to you, right? And Jefferson was thinking about the collective here, not the individual. He, was, he thought about how would you have a thriving democracy of diverse people that would hold together if it wasn't bloodlines or, or a king or something like that. And he felt like it was only in guaranteeing people the ability to live fulfilling lives that would be so enriching and expansive, right? That it's like reading a good book. The first thing I want to do is have somebody I care about read the book. They want them to feel like I feel. Um, and so he felt like this, this safeguarding this as an individual right was the most important thing for collective success. The second thing is that, you know, as he writes this draft after draft, and it had, there's a committee of, you know, Franklin and Adams, and then it gets all the way to everybody else. Like, there, from our records that we have, uh, this is one of the few phrases that nobody ever questions. Nobody challenges it. No one says, take it out. It doesn't need to be there. So like the founders of the, this country cared a lot about this idea of the pursuit of happiness, right? Um, and the truth is, it's probably a country that was like had a, ha, you know, a big portion of its people in chains and, um, and disenfranchised. You know, every woman probably wasn't a good start to equipping people to live fulfilling lives. But the promise, the idea was right. And so... Instead, we went the other way, right? We, we realized that we treat individuals as if they're cogs, right? We don't really think about who we are as people. And we've, you know, we've gained a lot of wealth, and I, don't, I think that's good. I, don't think it's, I think we've, there's a lot of benefit to what we've done in standardization and industrialization. But it's not really who we were meant to be. It's, it, and something's missing, and we all know it, right? Right now, people are so frustrated with our systems. And it's kind of weird in some ways, right? In education, we've never spent more money than we do right now. We've never had it better in so many ways, and yet we're, the public is deeply frustrated. We're frustrated with everything. And I think, and we have a lot of our own research to back this up, is that the American public in particular has made a dramatic shift in what they want out of life over the last decade. And, and the vast majority of us are saying we want fulfillment, right? We want this. Um, well, if that's true, then no wonder we're frustrated, right? And so, and from I, my and perspective, I think consciously yeah. aware people want fulfillment for everybody. So this whole yes. concept of equanimity, uh, yeah. to actually have that happen across the board, I think really highly conscious people are very interested in having the world be a very peaceful place. It just doesn't seem that way right now. Um, I think we're going through the birth pangs of like like you're not yeah. you're not going to lose standardization and industrialization and these kind of things that have been created o overnight. And right. uh, what I can tell you is we have the, uh, at my think tank Populous, we have the largest research ever done on Americans' views of success. And we're coming out with a, na a national success index in September. But the sneak peek for you is that the majority of Americans now reject the sort of comparative zero-sum view of success that's been built into our system since industrialization. Um, and they, they want, they want meaning and purpose, and they're really serious about it. So what, to your point, what I think is so powerful is that when, it, when it's the pursuit of fulfillment, it's just not selfish. You just don't see it. People don't see it as zero-sum, right? They really realize that more people living fulfilling lives is actually better for them. So I think we're on the cusp of something very interesting. I think we have the technology, we have the economy, we have the know-how to build a different society. And now the question is, do we have the will? Well, your book is definitely an opener, an eye-opener. And as Amy Cuddy says, shatters our conventional notion of what success is and how to attain it. And I would say that's true. For all my listeners, um, we've been on with uh, Todd Rose, the author of a book called Dark Horse, 
achieving success through pursuit of fulfillment. Um, this is certainly a book that will expand your, uh, let's see, it'll get you to shift your biases probably. It'll get you to open your eyes and look at the world in a different way. And also look at some examples of dark horses and really the three or four factors and motivations and the things they're looking for, fulfillment and, and strategy and the kind of things they do. Adopting though is, is not beyond, and I'm not even going to use this word because there is no average person. The reality is adopting those dark horse uh, um, traits, anybody can do. You can lift yourself up and do that. So Todd, pleasure having you on uh, Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with us about your book called Dark Horses, uh, Dark Horse. We will put uh, uh, links up to um, Amazon for that and to your website as well. And I just really appreciate you for doing both of these interviews with me and, uh, and getting our listeners more uh, aware of just what is available to them, how they can shift their lives, and especially um, with the second book, Dark Horses. Thanks so yeah, much. Thank you so much. I had a great time. podcast is brought to you by Bill Adams and Robert Anderson, the authors of a new book entitled Scaling Leadership, Building Organizational Capability and Capacity to Create Outcomes that Matter Most. Please listen to podcast number 706, where Greg and Bill discuss the key differences between what Bill refers to as creative versus reactive leadership, which makes up the system for developing effective leadership throughout an organization. This interview is a must-listen for any leader wanting to improve their leadership skills and to improve their relationship with their team members. If you want to learn more about scaling leadership, please listen to podcast number 706, as well as go to the book's website by visiting www.scalingleadership.com or you can take a free leadership self-assessment at www.leadershipcircle.com. Have fun learning a lot about becoming an effective leader by listening to Greg's interview with Bill Adams, the author of a new book entitled Scaling Leadership. Thanks for listening.